You're listening to a Senate Health and Politics, a show about the day's emerging public health issues and the intersection of politics. Your hosts are Kyle McGowan and Amanda Campbell. Today, we're going to be talking about Operation Warp Speed. Yeah, so before we get too deep in the weeds on this, I just have something I got to kind of get off my chest here in that it really honestly should be Operation Lightspeed. Clearly, whoever uh, came up with the name is a Trekkie and not a Star Wars fan. Um, so I just got to say it should be Operation Lightspeed instead of Warp Speed because Star Wars is far superior than Star Trek. So that is off my chest now. Now I can move on. All right. Well, um, I guess I can't argue with that, Kyle. <laughs> uh, glad you got that off your chest. I don't think I had appreciated that there was a differentiation between light speed and warp speed, but they're both... The same thing. Yeah, they're both describing travel at the speed of light, right? A fictional way of moving fast. Got it. All right, well, moving on from that, um, earlier this week, we marked two incredible milestones. One, unfortunately, is rather heartbreaking, and the other gives us cause to rejoice. Over the weekend, um, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine was officially approved by the federal government, and the first individuals in the U.S. to be vaccinated received that on uh, this Monday, December 14th. Sadly, that same day, we as a nation passed the 300,000 death mark for those lost to COVID-19. Yeah, we're, we're really getting into some very historic and sad numbers here. Uh, I, I mean, the number of uh, soldiers that were lost during World War II in both the Pacific and in Europe was just over 400,000. And we're at 300,000 right now with, I mean, we have this vaccine that we're about to start talking about, which is great, but I mean, we're going to have more deaths between now and when we really reach the critical mass of folks that have gotten the vaccine. And, you know, as an, as another example, on 9-11, you know, 2,600 people lost their lives on 9-11 in one day. We're seeing those numbers, if not more, every single day. I mean, yesterday alone, we had 3,600 deaths because of COVID. That's a thousand more people died yesterday than 9-11. And we're seeing that every single day. We're at 245,000 new cases yesterday. I mean, that's an increase of 29%. Um, total deaths so far, as you, as you mentioned, we're over 300,000. We're at 307,000 people have lost their lives because of this pandemic. So um, that's some sad and morbid, morbid news, but we're here to talk about the wonderful vaccine that is now not just being shipped, but also being administered, right? That's right. And we have, we have some good news to, to tell and to talk about. Um, as we mentioned, the Pfizer vaccine has been approved and distribution has already begun. The federal government said Wednesday that there would be enough vaccine to vaccinate almost 3 million people, um, primarily for those who are healthcare workers on the front lines and nursing home residents that are um, you know, living in these long-term care facilities and have really just been, those populations have been devastated, unfortunately, by the, uh, by the coronavirus. Um, and then the, they're working and negotiating some additional shipments from Pfizer as well. Um, it sounds like there was some negotiation that happened earlier in the fall that didn't come to fruition. But, you know, seeing this early success, we want to make sure that we have as much as we possibly can for, for those who need it. 
Yeah, and I also want to point out there's been some recent news reports about um, as as hospitals have started administering this first round of Pfizer vaccine, they're you know like miraculously discovering that the vials hold additional doses, and and people are are wondering, well, did were all the boxes checked? Is Pfizer doing something that they shouldn't have? I mean, stay calm, people. Like this is normal. Um, you know, they, they put extra in the vials for spillage and things like that. Yeah, this that, happens with the flu vaccine, right? This happens every year with every single vaccine, with every single um, medicine that's administered by a syringe. And so don't listen to the folks that are saying there's something crazy there. Um, it's not. Pull up your sleeve, get the vaccine. It's safe. It's effective. And additional doses in the vials is great news, not a cause for alarm. So just wanted to say that. Well, and the good news is that we're literally maybe just hours and days away from another vaccine being approved, uh, which is the Moderna vaccine. There is um, the independent FDA advisory panel meeting today, actually, December 17th, to consider the, the Moderna vaccine and make their official recommendation to the FDA. So we should have that approved uh, probably here in the next couple of days, probably you know during the weekend sometime. And and for folks who remember our our podcast on the Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices or ACIP, you know we talked about how those meetings are public and anyone can watch those who's interested in. So I would really encourage folks to do the same for this advisory panel for the um, FDA if they're interested in and in learning more and really hearing about that scientific discussion among the experts. Um, so the federal government, though, has already said that they plan to ship out nearly 6 million doses of Moderna's vaccine once they get the green light from FDA. And they're continuing to negotiate for additional doses um, from Moderna as well. It sounds like about 100 million that they're trying to get from them to be delivered around the second quarter of 2021. Yeah, that, that that's great news that we're going to be able to get um this amount of vaccine into the market over the next quarter, basically. Um, there there are some some major differences in the two vaccine, uh, not with um, efficacy because they're both well over 90%, which is great and wonderful. Uh, but as far as the logistics of shipping, the Pfizer vaccine, as we, I think, have mentioned, has to be stored in a biomedical freezer with dry ice. Um, that's not necessarily the case with uh, Moderna, which which the Moderna vaccine, which uh, definitely helps with some of the logistics issues. I know I was chatting with a friend of mine just yesterday who works at an Indian Health Service uh, clinic. He's a pharmacist, and when he received their uh, vaccine, uh, it was out of dry ice. Uh, luckily, it was still cold enough and everything was fine, but, um, you know, those types of logistic issues are going to come up. Um, and so having the uh, the ability to ship uh, one of the vaccines and not having to have that extensive cold chain uh, logistics network is going to be extremely helpful moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that the story um, your friend shared with you has not been u- unique over the past couple of days. Right. There are others out there. Uh, that we'll, I'm sure, be hearing about in the next few days. Um, but we do have actually another vaccine, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that they expect to be ready for EUA submission by the end of January. Um, if folks remember, we heard about the interim trial results from Pfizer and Moderna back in like mid-November, and then they submitted their EUA 
um, application to the FDA about a week or two after that. And now we're seeing about two weeks later, they're getting those um, approvals from the FDA. So if we can stay on that timeline with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, then it's possible we could actually see that vaccine distributed here in the U.S. probably around mid-February to late February, which is great. And, and this vaccine has an additional benefit in that it's a single dose vaccine versus a two dose vaccine. Yeah, that's the one I hope I get. Um, I, I've uh, I hate needles. Um, every year when I get my flu vaccine, I'm, my wife calls me the biggest baby in the world. Uh, but I get it, and uh, so I'm going to try to get in line for the Johnson and Johnson one stick vaccine. Well, it also takes away the burden of you know those in our public health system from trying to track down folks and to ensure that they get that second dose of the the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine that require right. that second dose after about three weeks right. in order to ensure that they have the full protection of the vaccine, not only at that efficacy level, but over the long term, because we still don't know just how long the, the vaccine is actually going to protect us from COVID. And we need to make sure that as many people have full protection as possible. Right. Well, with these three vaccines that we're talking about here, um, really these all, you know, came about not solely because of Operation Warp Speed, but with a lot of help from Operation Warp Speed. And and I think we need to, um, in a time where not a lot has gone right or has gone the way it was planned in this response. I think it's important to highlight the fact that, you know, Operation Warp Speed has done what I said it's going to do, which is to get vaccines um, developed, uh, encourage and support the private sector uh, to get these um, vaccines developed, approved, and in people's arms as quickly as possible. And I, I think we we need to give credit where credit's due. This was a huge success so far, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think we should um, back up just a little bit and talk a, talk a little bit about, you know, what is Operation Warp Speed? How did it begin? Because we sometimes fail to remember that they've done all of this in seven short months. Yeah. Operation Warp Speed was announced on May 15th. So that entire command structure that includes not only the components of HHS, but the DOD, that's only been here and in existence for, for just over um, the past seven months. But Operation Warp Speed is a $14 billion investment um, to be made in public-private partnerships that utilizes the resources and tools of, of both HHS and the DOD to accelerate you know, not only the testing and development, but also the distribution of safe and effective vaccines, therapeutics, and diagnostics to counter COVID-19. And they set out an initial goal or mission of delivering 300 million doses of safe and effective vaccine by January 1st, 2021. Now, I'm skeptical that we're going to actually hit that mark, but the fact that we actually already do have approved vaccine that is beginning to be delivered is still a real testament to the fact that when you can combine government and the private sector to do what they do best, really incredible progress can be made. Absolutely. And so through Operation Warp Speed and HHS, billions of dollars were invested to support the accelerated development and manufacturing of vaccine. Basically, the federal government betting on a number of different 
vaccine manufacturers that their vaccine could work and be approved and going ahead and paying up front for that vaccine to be manufactured so that as soon as it was approved, it could be administered. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So they invested in the three companies we've already talked about today, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, but also AstraZeneca, Novavax, and maybe one or two more that I'm, I'm forgetting, but also um, they've you know done some investments as well in, in therapeutics too. So the other benefit here is that Americans have technically already paid for the vaccine at this point. <laughs> right. So there should be no American paying out of pocket for this vaccine once it becomes available to them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's important to... Uh, uh, hammer that home and maybe this is a future podcast on other vaccines and how they're paid for and who should pay for them but in this case uh you should not pay for the vaccine it has been paid for with your taxpayer dollars and uh, i'm a firm believer in um, the federal government stepping in when it should this is in my mind a perfect example of when the feds got it right um and paid for something already uh, to to help with this pandemic. And and so the next step, you know, that's Operation Warp Speed on the what I would call the development side and the front end getting these vaccines going and getting the companies that have developed them going. And logistically though, the next step is making sure that it gets out. And so they're really seem to be leaning on what I call the big box pharmacies on getting out some of the first round of vaccines. So the hospitals, that's kind of easy, right? I mean, the hospitals are getting their shipment of of um, uh, doses of vaccines. They're giving it to their front-line front workers. You know, they have the people that are able to administer vaccines. They do it all the time. Um, now, when we're talking about a non-hospital setting, we're talking about assisted living, nursing homes, those sorts of things. What's being done is the, the big box pharmacies are stepping in to assist. So every year, they, meaning CVS, Walgreens, and others, help uh, vaccinate these assisted living and um nursing homes for flu, influenza. And so basically they're just piggybacking off of that existing network to come in and and help administer those first doses to individuals who are in those types of settings. Well, that's great news. You know, I think we talked a lot about the successes of Operation Warp Speed and how far we've come in just a short period of time. But it's interesting that we're still seeing some over promises being made by the administration when we have a different sort of view uh, as far as the facts on the ground. Um, even just this past weekend, we heard the secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, say that all nursing home residents could be vaccinated by Christmas. But with only a few million doses out at this point, you know, those that 2.9 million doses from the Pfizer vaccine, out and around the country, those numbers don't quite add up. No, and I've uh, look. I, I know the um, the political politician side of of people come out and they want to you know promise rosy skies and perfect scenarios and things like that. That's just not what's needed in this pandemic or any pandemic, really. I mean, we need straight talk. We need honest um, discussions about what's going to happen and what can happen, and we need to to not over promise. There's been way too much um, from from 
just not this administration, but in general, overpromising the virus is going to be gone by summer. No, it's not. There's not going to be a second wave. No, that's not true. We're going to have, you know, all of these, you know, vaccines administered before November. No, that's not right. Like we, we have to stop overpromising. People people can handle the truth. Yeah. Well, and I mean, even beyond nursing home residents, it was he was sta- he stated that he expects twenty million vaccinations in December, with potentially up to fifty million total vaccinations by the end of January twenty twenty one. And the numbers at this point just don't support that. Right. And you know, just to help provide a little bit more context. You know, we're in phase 1A of vaccination right now, which includes all of our healthcare personnel and residents of, of long-term care facilities, um, assisted living facilities, et cetera. And, you know, just the healthcare personnel alone is approximately 21 million Americans. And then those individuals and in these, you know, long-term care facilities is another 3 million. So we're talking about 24 million doses of vaccine that need to be administered first before we can even think about the next tranche. And even though, you know, we have this light at the end of the tunnel, we we need to be mindful that the risks are still very much out there. And while I can understand that, you know, we're, we're, we're tired of wearing masks and social distancing and, and all of those things, we really need to remain vigilant now as we see these cases continue to rise in order to be sure that by the time it is our turn to get the vaccine, we haven't, you know, wasted that opportunity. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the biggest thing we can do right now is I know everyone, hopefully everyone, I know the folks that I talk to want to get the vaccine right now. We, we, I keep saying we, I, I mean, we as a nation and our political leaders and, um, public health institutions really need to be focusing on, um, I think answering people's questions and making people comfortable with the idea of getting vaccinated because look guys if you if you if you're looking forward to that first uh spring day and sitting out on the patio and having margaritas with your friends that's not going to happen unless you get the vaccine and we're able to get this pandemic under control we've seen that you know the virus doesn't go away in the summertime like some people want to say the virus doesn't just burn out on its own because you know some people want to build up herd immunity without having an actual vaccine if we want to get back to normal we have to uh, encourage people to get the vaccine there i mean look only what's the number 40% of people or so every year get the flu vaccine well, it depends on the demographic, but I think that's about right. It's 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 much lower than it, it needs to be or than it should be. Right. To be successful, this mm-hmm. has got to be well over 40%. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, we're, we're really not seeing a, a consistent message at this point from the federal government. You know, I think we've seen some of the leaders like the Surgeon General and, and others at HHS um, be vocal about the need to get the vaccine, certainly. And it sounds like the vice president and the surgeon general are going to be getting their vaccine on television tomorrow, uh, which is all great. But, you know, there was some controversy earlier this year about a campaign that HHS was planning to do after they had um, gotten around $300 million from CDC to support that campaign. That never came to fruition. That's the three hundred million they siphoned off to hire B-list actors to say all is well. Is that what it was for? Uh, I, I think that was the idea. 
Okay. Which Um, we were not on board with. No, I I think it's important to hear from public health experts and and scientists. And while it's great to have media uh, personalities spread that message, we've got to make sure that we've got the message right and we're... um, the right folks are involved in helping to develop those messages. Absolutely. Um, so I think, you know, there's something else that we need to talk about today, which is what's actually happening at the state level. Right. Because they are the ones who, like, it's great, Operation Warp Speed has done their job. They've gotten the vaccines developed and approved and manufactured, and they're distributing them across the country. And now the states have vaccine in hand, and they have to get it administered to people. But we were told by the director of the CDC, Dr. Robert Redfield, back in September, that states needed 5 to $6 billion to help support distribution of the vaccine within states. Right. And Congress has failed to act so far. Right. And this is, I mean, disappointing to say the least. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always disappointed in Congress. I think that's a perennial uh, sentiment. But, you know, even, even more recently, Dr. Rachel Levine, who is the president of the Association of State and Territorial Health Officers, and she's currently Pennsylvania's health secretary, she told a Senate hearing, excuse me, she told senators in a Senate hearing um, just this past week that states need $8.4 billion for their vaccination program. And this is all coming at a time when the financial demands at the state level are, are really just going through the roof and they're getting squeezed in a lot of different ways because tax revenues are down for a lot of states. Their economies haven't bounced back to the full extent that it, they need to, which means that for states that require balanced budgets, which is most, and unlike the federal government, they're having to cut programs. And this is also happening while they're still trying to combat you know, accelerating cases across the country, which means increased hospitalizations, increased deaths, all of that is putting pressure on public health, on the public health workforce and our healthcare workforce across the country. So layering the vaccine distribution on top of that really puts a strain on the res- on very limited resources at a time when we, we have critical needs and Congress needs to act. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we started off uh, discussing where credit should be given um, when it's due. And, and the to be honest, the federal government did a great job in getting Operation Warp Speed up and running and, and getting it uh, to where we are now. But we're not done. Like we, we have a long ways to go and, and, and Congress needs to act. And, you know, as we say, with a, I'm a huge Georgia Bulldog fan, we've got to finish the drill. Like now is the time we have to finish the drill. And the drill is, you know, quit bickering and pass a budget or pass a an appropriations or stimulus, whatever you want to call it, that gives the states the resources it needs for them to finish the drill, which is taking this vaccine and getting it to the people that need it most. It really does no good to have a vaccine if you can't actually get people vaccinated. Right. If it's if a vaccine that's not in your arm is worthless. So um, I think the next show we we chat about, we, we may need to talk about the stimulus and what's in it. Um, they're hopefully debating it as we speak and are recording this. And so um, our next episode will, will, will be about the stimulus, what's in it, and what it means for the states. And so as always, remember to stay classy, stay healthy, America.